This morning we're going to be learning, we thank um, Naomi and Arya Davis for sponsoring this Shir Ilu Nishmas Dov Ben Yosef by um, Dov Kamenetsky, whose yard side is today. Our, uh, our limit should be a zchus for his neshama. Arya was here a second ago. And, uh, okay, we're going to start in the meantime. Our limit should be a zchus for his neshama. We also are learning, ah, oh, just mentioned the, the uh, just mentioned Rav Dov, um, Rav Dov Ben Yosef, who we are learning for this morning. We're also just um, thinking of our friend Eliezer Cohen, who is usually here, um, who has unfortunately had a little bit of a fall, and we're going to be learning the Rafur Shlema of our Rami Eliezer, our, uh, our friend um, Eliezer Cohen, should have a Rafur Shlema Bakarov. This Ikar, we've, up till now we've spent a lot of time dealing with theory. This Ikar over here is one of the Ikarim, which, is, which actually is very practical and affects us in many, many ways. Um, and, it, and in fact, up till now, it's, you know, we haven't met so much opposition. Meaning, when we learn about the Ikarim and how God operates and what, what God does in the world and things like that, you know, today, the people that we're dealing with are not arguing about those things. Meaning, you know, in the times of the Rambam, when you're dealing with Aristotelian issues and Greek philosophers, and these are real problems, then you had, you know, some people, there were challenges on these issues. But up till, up till this point today, the real issue, one of the real issues that we, that we run up against today is the, the contention that surrounds this Ikar. So we have a lot of work to do, and in fact... I spent so much, uh, this, this, there's so much to, to discuss, to learn about this, that I, I ask you that we're actually going to divide this into two parts, because there's, there's just so much. This is a semester's worth of study, and um, what we're going to do is we're going to do one segment today, about Torah and Shemaim, and then we're going to move into transmission next week, because transmission is an integral part of what we're covering, but we need to, it's just too much to, uh, to deal with altogether. So let's start at the very beginning. The Rambam is unequivocal. The Rambam is clear as to what's going on over here. here let's start with the Amin Imamin, and then we'll come back to the Rambam himself. The so, Amin Imamin says, this is the eighth um, foundation of faith. Anima Amin Bemuna Shlema, believe with a perfect faith. Shekol HaTorah, HaMetsuya Ata Biodeinu, He Hanesuna LeMoshe Rabbeinu Olava Shalom. That the Torah that we have today in our hands is the self-same Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, of blessed memory. The way we sing it in Yigdal is, Toras emes nosan, la'amokel, al yad nevi'o ne'eman be'esai. So that there was the, the true Torah was given to the nation of God through his prophet, who is Moshe Rabbeinu. Which, by the way, of course, links us naturally to last week. Meaning, it's necessary to understand the unique pedestal of Moshe Rabbeinu in order to appreciate what he gave. But... This is a unique Ikar in the sense that I could always believe that Moshe Rabbeinu is unique, but I may also believe that, you know, he also had some personal agendas in writing the Torah. So this is very important to appreciate separately as an, uh, um, as an Ikar. This over here, again, is going to be a place where we re you read an article in the paper. You read a Devar Torah, which somebody sends you in your inbox. This is where, this, the, this is where Ikarim meets, the, the rabbi meets the, the Talmak. Um, in terms of Ikarim today. This is, there are many problems in this foundation of faith that we experience on a weekly basis that people, people are slightly, subtly off 
and it's a very thin line to cross, and it's a very dangerous line to cross when it comes to this ikar. So let's let's uh, let's explore this a little further. The Rambam tells us the following when explaining this. Yeah, what was that? Good. So how far does this extend? So Toby's asking a fabulous question. You know, how much is this? What part is the Rambam referring to over here that is? untouchable transmission from Sana. So let's take a look and see if we can work backwards with your question in mind, because this is a very important question. So the Rambam says the following, we're not going to read the whole of his Pirush HaMishnayas, but this is where he says it originally, so it's worth starting here. He says, Vayasod HaShmini, the eighth um, foundation of faith, Hu Torah Min is the, the fact that the Torah comes from heaven. It's not a book, it wasn't authored, it wasn't somebody who had a great idea. It wasn't somebody who, who felt that he wanted to create a religion or a cult. It is from heaven. Okay, so this is how, this is how it begins, and this is how it works. So how does, uh, how does this work? So the Rambam says, V'hushanamin shekoa Torah zu hanimtseis biyodeinu ayom hazeh hiya Torah shenitna lemoshe We believe that when we open up the ark, and when, we, when, we, when somebody lifts up, the Torah and says Zoy Satara, we mean those words. The Zoy Satara, Asher right? We we are we are saying that this Torah, the Torah we're looking at, is the self same Torah that was given at Sinai. That we say that every day when we see the, the Torah. This is what it means, says the Rabbim. We have to believe that every every aspect of it. Now Kulamar Shegiak Olav Kulame Sashem Ha Goashim Lo Am Oisal Derek Ha Shola Dibur. And it was conveyed by what we call the transmission of speech. We don't fully understand how that transmission occurred. Um, to, uh, to Moshe, but it did. Moshe Rabbeinu somehow they had this communion with God. He, in a certain sense, had dictated through him the Torah, which is what occurred on Sinai, and he came down and he gave it to us. So this is, this is what occurs. The Rambam goes so far as to say, we're not going to do the... Oh yeah, let's, let's, take, let's take the next line um, uh, for, uh, just to see how far this does go. Ve'ein hevdel, says the Rambam. There is no difference. Bain, u'benei, cham, kush, u'mitzrayim, uput, u'kanan. There is no difference in the pasuk which describes the genealogy of cham, which to us should be a really irrelevant detail, so to speak, right? Meaning, you know, that doesn't seem to us as, you know, very important in the greatest scheme of things. It says around that pasuk is equally as important, or describing the genealogy of, let's say, Esav's descendants. Or the first pasuk of the Aserah or the fundamental expression of faith, says the Rambam. Every letter, every pasuk in the Torah is of equal value. You can't distinguish. Everything came from Hashem. Everything is pure and holy. And the Rambam really goes to, uh, to lengths to describe this. He, um, just to, to get a, a, uh, a sense of, of how far this goes. The Rambam says, I just want to jump a few lines. Here we go. It says, I'm, from, I'm going to go, start just about eight lines in. The last one in the line is Kula. So he says, it's just four, line, four words before that. He says, Omer, <laughs> A person who would say, you know what, I agree that 
99.7% of the Torah is divine. But, you know, this is that one little area that wasn't, says the Rambam. That person is already called a person who despises God. Every letter has wisdom in it. And, he said, and the Rambam goes on to say, somewhat un- uncharacteristically, we should pray to God that we should be able to have the wisdom to understand the greatness of that message. Um, should I pray to Hashem that one should be able to have the, the, that ability to be able to appreciate that? That's what the Rambam says. So, and he says you should pray to Hashem, okay, Yisrael. Um, this is the Rambam, the Rambam concludes in his Ikar. This, now, you can see the Rambam is very clear about this. Unequivocal. Every letter, every ois, every pasuk is, is from Hashem. So now, the question that, that we need to contend with ourselves over here is the following. Is, how did Israel know? How do we know that's true? So where, where, where did this begin from? Where, do, where, do, where, do, where does this come from? And in order to understand this question, we need to ask, ask that question to two different audiences. Audience number one is us today. Audience number two is the people of Israel at the time then. Okay, so meaning, how did Israel then know that this is true? And how do we today know this is true? Two separate questions, but very important to be able to appreciate this. So let's start then. How did Israel know that when Moshe Rabbeinu presents them with the Torah, every letter, every word, every pasuk is <coughs> divinely given? Yes. <coughs> what was that? Okay. So, so uh, very fascinating. So what we have over here is an ex- uh, the, the possibility that we know, as we say daily, that everybody believed in, Mo- in Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did they believe in Moshe Rabbeinu? Well, it's actually interesting enough, the Torah talks about two episodes where they believe in Moshe. One is when he originally proclaims himself the Redeemer. He arrives in Egypt at the end of Parshas Shmois, and everybody believes in him. But then it got a little difficult, right? Because then the work got a little more difficult, and everything wasn't going in the right way as redemption should go. And then... At the end of the whole process, when there's the sea spitting, the Egyptians dying, everything, we sing the song, and we believe in Hashem and Moses' servant. So what you're saying is, because Moshe Rabbeinu has displayed his credits in a, in a most public forum, in a most incontrovenable way, so then you should say, or well, anything he says should go, right? Okay, so now, yes. Okay. So we have, to, we, have to, we have to think about this very carefully. So maybe it's Sinai. Is it the miracles? Is it Sinai? What about what allowed them to know that every letter that was expressed is from Moshe Rabbeinu? So this is the way the Rambam says, and this is something so important. This, is this, this, this halacha that we're about to learn in the Rambam is something which changes the way we view the Torah altogether. This is, this is so integral to, to, uh, to our appreciation of our Judaism. Let, let, listen to what the Rambam says. The Rambam says in Hilchos Yesod Torah. Remember the Rambam... In his, in his book, his halachic work called the Yad. The Yad is his 14 books. So he divides all of Judaism into 14 sections. He has one about call, called Sefer Amada, and in it is, talks about Yisodah and Torah. These are the bases of the Torah. Many of the Quran that we're learning are to be found in here in a more expressed way. So here he says the following. Moshe Rabbeinu, this is Hilchus Yisodah, Torah Perikhas. Moshe Rabbeinu lo yehaminu bo Yisrael mibnei ha'oysa she'asa. He says, we don't believe in Moshe Rabbeinu because that he did great oysa. So he did great tricks or wonders. Because as long as Moshe Rabbeinu is performing great tricks, then at the end of the day, you know what? 
We can still say, you know, there was the smoke and mirrors and, you know, he might have just been harnessing dark forces or whatever else it is that they were there at the time. So, you know, that's why, that's why he could do what he did. You know, he was very good with water, right? So he could do the, the, the yamsuf, whatever else it is. Says the Rambam. You'll notice every miracle Moshe Rabbeinu did was for a need, to address a need. Moshe Rabbeinu never one day got up and said, Folks, I want you to believe in me, so look what I'm going to do today. Look at the rabbit I'm going to pull out of the hat <coughs> this morning. That's ne- that Moshe Rabbeinu never did that. Says, They're running from the Egyptians. That's why I split the sea and drowned them. We needed food, so he brought down the manna. They, they, they grew thirsty. He split the stone open for water. There was, a, there was a rebellion in the ranks. They thought that he wasn't the leader. What does he do? He spits the earth, they fall in. So every miracle did was for necessity. Every other sign that Moshe Rabbeinu did. What did they believe in because of? At Sinai. Why? Now why is Sinai so important? I mean, wasn't it just a bigger, wasn't it a bigger light, and show, uh, um, light show? So he says, no, it was categorically different. We ourselves, the entire nation, 600,000 men, 3.2 million arguably people, were standing at the foot of Sinai. We saw what was going on. We saw the miraculous experience. Moshe entered the dark, the dark clouds. We ourselves heard Moshe beckoned into that cloud. We heard God speaking to him. We heard God saying to Moshe, tell them this. We heard Hashem speaking to him face to face. As we know, it wasn't just with our fathers, it was with us. How do we know this is the only reason why we believe in Moshe's Nevoah? The Torah tells us explicitly. Why am I doing Harsina? Not to convey to you information. Not to give you Aseris Adibros. Not that you should have a system of law. Why? For one reason. That, you, that the people will see that, you, that I spoke to you and they'll believe in you forever. Meaning who's the you? Moshe Rabbeinu. Up till now they believed in him. They didn't believe in him in an incontrovenable, impervious way of belief that will that'll last forever. People could still think about it. Now, just to appreciate this fully, when you go into the Midrashic literature and the Ramam talks about this, remember what happens. Let's this is, this is describe the system of events over here. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up. He enters into Har Sinai. Then Hashem expresses, not only do they hear Hashem calling, but they also hear Hashem who starts saying Naseras Adibros. There's two deos in Chazal. Whether it was that Hashem expressed the first two, two of the Debros, which include all the rest of the Torah, the Mitzvah Sas and the Mitzvah Sloisase, which is belief in God and the belief of nothing else, which encompass all other positive and negative commandments, or it's all ten of that series of Dibras which were expressed. And what happens? People got afraid. We, 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 people got afraid is the, is the euphemistic way of saying it. Yatsan is um, is Yatsan Nishmasa means to say that they became disembodied. 
Meaning to say the experience of the divine was so powerful, was so out of this worldly, that they could no longer exist as composite beings, as a physical and spiritual being in one place. They separated. God resuscitated them and they said, thank you Hashem, but we can't do this. We can't, we can't have this experience. We can't, we can't be killed every moment we have experience from you. Please speak to Moshe and Moshe will carry on from us. That moment was critical. Why? Because it was us who said to Hashem that we entrust you to speak to Moshe and everything he says afterwards we know is from you. Why? Because we just experienced it. That's the reason why we believe in it. Therefore, he says, anybody who comes afterwards and says, well, look, look what I can do. Look at the rabbit I can pull out of this hat. And now, now that I pulled the rabbit out of the hat, let me tell you what, uh, one or two things about the Torah. You know, it's not really important, this and this detail. Says the Raman, why do you not believe such a person? Why, why do you not believe in Navi Shekhar, who can do wonderful tricks? Why, why don't you believe him? He's very powerful. He's got great predictions. Because he's not speaking in the name of God. Because we ourselves witnessed the truth. And therefore, it's like saying to you that what happened to you yesterday isn't true. I don't need to now sit down and logically prove it. It's because I experienced what the truth is. So Moshe Rabbeinu said in that corpus of literature, he said that you don't believe people who disagree with anything in this Torah. That's part of what he said, which we believe. So if the Ram says, it's like telling you that your history isn't true. What you experience isn't true because we experienced it. That's the way Ram describes it. You know, it's, 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 it reminds me of a story about there was a particular town in Eastern Europe and um, there was a, uh, a Rav of the town and he was very well loved by everybody in the town and at a certain point he passes away um, and, and the question is, what's going to be with continuity now? So naturally he has an older son and the older son takes, up and take, takes office. Um, but the problem is that, you know, he, he had, didn't have just one son, he had a few sons. So the next week after the shiva is finished, the younger son comes in and he, he, he summons all the elders of the city and he says he has a very important announcement for them. So they said, just so he comes in, it must be very important to the rough son, you know. So he, he, call, he calls everybody in and he said, I have to tell you something. He said, I, I, I didn't know if I should tell this to you, but for the last three nights, three nights in a row, my father came to me in a dream and he said that I should be the rough of the city. So, so, you know, everybody, everybody very, very much revered the Rav of the city. And they said, they, you know, everybody's sitting there nodding, saying, you know, if the Rav appeared, appeared, you know, the Rav must obviously want this. You know, that even though the Bukhar, you know, and so on, but, you know, we, we have to respect what the Rav says. And there's one gentleman in the back of the, the, back of the shul. I mean, Rav Yaakov Weinberg told the story. He says in his, his, in his very precise way, there's one old man in the back of the shul, and he's shaking his head, and he says... If the rabbi wa if they wanted you to be, the, to be the rabbi, he should have come to us in a dream. <laughs> That's what's happening over here. Right? That's what's happening over here, says the Rambam. It's not like suddenly, you know, Muhammad wakes up one morning, you know, and comes back and says, God spoke to me. Paul says, I was walking along the road and suddenly I have this and this is what I came with, you know. And suddenly I have, you know, the, the Mormon tablets and everything. No, 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 no. That was one individual who now suddenly comes and reports the whole experience. That wasn't what happened with Judaism. In Judaism, we experienced it. We couldn't experience it further, so we gave it back to the prophet, and that's why we believe the prophet, because of us, not because of him. That's a very important fundamental over here, which now opens the gate for being able to believe in the Torah. This, this Ramam is so fundamental. That's why, by the way, I think that the Haftorah on both Parshas Yisroi and Shavuos is, what's the Haftorah? The, 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 the Haftorah on both Yisroi and Shavuos is Maasim Merkava, that of Yecheskel and Yeshayahu. Perak Aleph and Yecheskel, Perak Vav and Yeshayahu. Why? The reason is because Har, Har Sinai Matan Torah wasn't just an experience 
of details, of information. It's like, you know, get the memo. It's like, okay, there's 10 things you've got to do, folks. This is very important. And NB, you know, highlighted, emboldened, and they got the email. <laughs> that wasn't what happened. Harsina wasn't about information. Harsina was about the experience. Maise Merkava was a human being coming the closest they could to seeing the divine. And that's what Yeshua and Yechezkel are describing. That's what Harsina was. That's the closest we came to seeing the divine, which enabled us now when Moshe Rabbeinu comes along and says, this is what God said. We said, oh, well, of course he said that, because we know about that. That's where we start from. Now, the problem is, is that it's not as simple. You see, this, this issue has become an issue which has been under attack, specifically in the last 200 years, uh, vehemently. There's, there's schools of thoughts. There are theses written that attack this from numerous, numerous sides. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a little, we're going to dip a little, um, into, into these concepts, into some of the arguments, not to get ourselves too embroiled, but just to appreciate, because the question that we asked in Israel then is different to the question as to ask now, is how do we know? And how do we know is very important. So we're going to start with this, and what we're going to do is, is the following. You see, there's, it's a, a little bit of a complex, complex topic. Let's start at the very, very beginning of this. Source 5 for a moment. The Gwarim Baba Basra. Okay, so the Gwarim Baba Basra says a very important statement. It's talking about authorship of the Torah and authorship of all of the Sifre Nevi'im. So the... Um, actually, we left out Tibi's question for a moment, but the, we, we, we need to come back to that, which is, uh, which is how much is included in the scope of this. It sounds minimally like the Torah Shebeksav. Remember, Torah Tanakh is divided into three parts, Torah Nevi'im. It sounds like it's minimally Torah Shebeksav, but there's more than that. So we're going to put that on hold for a moment. The, the, the Gemara tells us the following in authorship, in Source 5. Omar Mar. Yeshua cost of Sifra Vishwana Psukim Shabatara. The Gemara says that Yeshua wrote his book, which is Sefer Yeshua, and the eight Psukim in the Torah. So Tanya commanded Omar, Shwana Psukim Shabatara, Yeshua Koswan. This goes like the, the opinion in the, in the Brisa, which says that Yeshua wrote the last eight Psukim from Vayamas Mosham Moshe, Ever Hashem. Evsha Moshe, Kosa, Vayamas Shom Moshe. The Gemara says, is it possible that Moshe Rabbeinu writes that Moshe died? If he died, he can't be writing it. Right? So, um, it says the Gemara. Elo ad kan kosav Moshe, mikan ve'ela kosav Yoshua, de Rabbi Yehuda. So the, um, Rabbi Yehuda would say that, what, that Yoshua wrote from the Psukim onwards from where Moshe Rabbeinu died. How many Psukim does that leave? There's eight last Psukim in the Torah which describe Moshe Rabbeinu's death. Va'amri la, Rabbi Nechemia, some say it was Rabbi Nechemia. Amri Rabbi Shimon, Efshosh Sefer Torah, Chosa Oisachas. Rabbi Shimon says, can you have a Torah which is missing one letter? The Torah was complete. So from what happened was, the whole Torah was dictated directly from God. The last eight psukim were dictated, and Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it bedema, which literally is translated to mean in tears. Meaning Moshe Rabbeinu knew, this is where the the, the sort of the fringe between Bechira and Yediyah really, really comes together. When Moshe Rabbeinu is experiencing Yediyah over his Bechira and he's crying because his human, he as a human now is, is sublimated to the divine decree of his own death. Right? This is what's happening as he's, as he's writing this. What, what you see over here is, is that there's a debate as to the, the authorship of the last eight Psukim in the Torah, right, essentially. Right? Now the Rambam is making it very clear that any, any letter, any Pasuk, which is not written by Moshe Rabbeinu, that's already beyond the pale. That's, that's, uh, uh, you've crossed the line. So what do you do with this Gemara over here? This is, this is, this is part of uh, the difficulty. It seems like there was a track in the Tanaim 
who believed that now this is not a, this is not an open gate. This is this is not a this is not like a flood gate where anything comes through. But it sounds like at least specifically the last eight pesukim. Yes. We're talking about authorship or transcription. Meaning. One, the author was the Rabbana Shalom, the transcriber was Moshe, and the last eight Pesukim transcriber was Yahushua. You're right, but the problem is that Yahushua is a regular Navi. Mm-hmm. Meaning to say, in the end of the day, what we're believing over here is that Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the Av Shebenavim, was the one who gave the entire Torah, which means to say that, that it was clean of any bias. So what essentially is being said over here is that because it was impossible for the last eight Pesukim to be written by Moshe Rabbeinu, logically, then if Yeshua is part of it, Yeshua doesn't have the same level as Nevoah. So, I meaning, how, how could the Rabbim say that there's the entire Torah? That's, that's, the, that's the question just asked. Hilal Yudin. Had Hilal Yudin. Okay. So, this is where the, the questions begin. And this kind of, you, the, this, this, this over here, it sounds like there was a track, which, by the way, it almost sounds like it was closed off, this, this notion of the last ape sucking, because it doesn't. <coughs> come into mainstream rabbinic literature that are there afterwards. But you do find murmurings. He has a few murmurings that you find later on. You see, because a lot of the biblical academic research starts internally. And it, say, and it says, well, let's, let's look at our tradition and see how many people really accepted this. So if you dig around and you dig deep and dig far, you can find here and there people who seem to be in disagreement. Okay, this, that, and this, is what, this is what happens. And I'll tell you the reason why this is important to, to study this a little bit. You know, when, when, I, went to, when I went to YU, YU has a vast range of professors and teachers. And I went to YU at last minute, at last minute I, I, I did a switch and I came into YU and by the time I came in, you have to do Bible, Bible study of Talmud, and there's a, a course called Intro to Bible. Intro to Bible is basically getting a sense of the Bible. Now, it happens to be that when you come in and you switch in within a week to go, there's a reason why there's certain Bible classes which are open <laughs> and certain Bible classes are not open. Okay, so now, that, now the, so I happened to get into one that was Open, and there's a reason why it was open. Not everybody who teaches is under the jurisdiction of Das Torah, who, uh, who have, are guarded necessarily by Torah principles. There's a lot of academics, and this is not to say that, that most people, most, most kids going to why you know where to go and where not to go, and who to go to and who not to go to. But I had, I had the fortune, I'm not going to say good or bad, to go into this, in, into a particular course. And I spent an entire semester... Um, Subject to a lot of the a lot of the questions which are raised, um, and it was tame in terms of compared to some of the very um, strong academic um, um, academic um, bents. But at the same time, it was disturbing. And so what I did was I spent my entire semester um, every after every lesson I went to Rav Tversky, Rabbi Rapp, people in the base of Medrash who I, who I had, had a relationship with, and I asked them about some of the things I was hearing because some of the things you hear are really disturbing. And, they, and we went through piece by piece, letter by letter, pasuk by pasuk, all the questions. Because you have to understand, a lot of these academic, we'll call it palaces, are built on like very little things here and there, which kind of are meant to make a whole edifice when it's not really mainstream thought, but nonetheless, it's presented as if this is it. And there's nothing else. And it's very difficult to deal with that if you're a young person who's just been, exper- just been exposed to this after a number of years in Yeshiva without any tools to deal with this. So I had actually I had a wonderful experience in the sense that I was able to actually discuss this with people who know about this. And it happened to be the next semester, I, um, there, was a, there was a young man, somebody said, do you, do you have time to tutor? I didn't. But I, I, sa- I said, let me, let me, there was a guy from Chicago, young boy who just come to YU, he needed help in Bible. And, and he said he was going to the same Bible class. He had the same problem as me. And I said, for sure, no problem. 
And I started working with him. He needed help because he needed help because it's a complicated course. It's not a, not a simple course. There's a lot of information, a lot of reading. It's very complex. But at the same time, I felt that it was important to, uh, to have a word with him. And I, and, I, and I sat with him weekly. And he was, going through this, he was going through the same issues, but he didn't have anybody to turn to. He came, he, uh, he didn't have as much of a background in yeshiva, he didn't have a connection to people to ask, and he was really floundering in faith because of some of the things that he was experiencing, and he didn't know, he didn't know how to respond. You know, it's like an onslaught of academia in these, in, in these issues. What do you do? So slowly, but slowly, slowly but surely, we went, we went through things, and I explained each, each part of it. I said the parts that I still don't understand, and I went through, and little by little, by little bit, and in the end, he actually ended up, he left Y, he went back to Chicago, a very lovely person. He sent me, the, at the end of the semester, he sent me this note, this most beautiful, beautiful note about the impact that I'd had having this relationship with him, because this is such a sensitive topic, and... What ends up happening is, is that people get misfed information that, are, that will pull them off the rails because it's only presented in a particular way, only one side, with very, very specific extreme, um, extreme shittas which are expressed. Which is why I think it's very important to know about this, so that when, when we see it, whether subtly or expressly, we understand what's going on. It's important to be aware of these things and how to respond to these things as well. We don't have enough time to do a semester's worth of work right now, unfortunately, but just some, just some, um, just some highlights as to uh, appreciating, appreciating this internally and externally. Happens to be many years later, I met him in, chi- in Chicago, wonderful person, he was just getting married that year, he was completely happy, he was, he was, he was, you know, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience, but nonetheless, we are also subject to what we read in the newspapers, the academic research which is done, which, is, which tra- crosses the line of this ikar, and that's why it's important to understand. He has an, he has just an, he has an example which is, which, is, which is often thrown out. The Ibn Ezra. Guys, this is this, uh, for anybody who's done a little bit of, uh, of Tanakh, this, this, uh, this is a very difficult um, issue. So let's, let's, let's skip around to Source 8 for a second. Pasuk says in Pasuk Lech Lecha, Vayavor, Vayavor, Avram Ba'aretz, Ad Mekom Shechem, Ad Elon Moreh, Ba'knani, Az Ba'aretz. So uh, Avram, he was still Avram at this time, was going through the land, and he goes to the land of Shechem, this is after Lech Lecha, he's going through the place of, of Shechem, and the Canaanite Oz Ba'aretz. And the Canaanite then lived in the land. Now, let's, 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 do, let's do a little bit of reasoning for a moment. At the time that the Torah was given, right, so let's say the Torah was given at the very end of Aravos Moab, before they entered the land of Israel, were the Canaanites in the land? The answer is, yes. absolutely. They hadn't been conquered until the times of Yeshua. Which means to say that if the, the Torah is telling us the Canaanite were then in the land, that would maybe imply, and I'm being maybe because, again, there's lots of ways of reading this, if you read the Rashi, the Ramban, Sforna, there's lots of explanations of this Pasuk, but nonetheless, in the end of the day, it sounds like that the Torah the Torah is given, the Canaanites are no longer in the land, which is why it says, Zakanani, Az Ba'aretz, right? But Moshe Rabbeinu, who's writing at the whole life of Moshe Rabbeinu until the very end of his life, the Canaanite was still in the land. So who's writing this Pasuk? Right? You see the question? Now, again, it's just like, read all the Mepharshim and they deal with it. They really do. They really do. The Ramban, de- everybody deals with this. It's not, it's not like this is something somebody just invented a new question over here. But nonetheless, if you sort through all the Mepharshim, you're going to find the Ibn Ezra as well. The Ibn Ezra says the following. He says, I'm in source 9, Vaknani Oz Ba'aretz. Yitzachein is possible, She'eretz Kanan, Tovso Kanan Miyad Acher. Okay. Says, um, he, gives a, he gives a regular interpretation about a change of power earlier on. And then he says, if not, it's got a, a secret, a side, and a person who understands it should keep quiet. Okay, so, which is why, by the way, when you hear people who offer explanations which are definite and absolute in the Ibn Ezra, 
as if they know 100% what the Ibn Rishon is saying, one has to be careful because if they really understood then, they shouldn't be talking about it, right? So anyway, so this is, this is, what, this is, what, this is what the Ibn Ezra says. So what does Ibn Ezra mean? It's got a, so this postdoc has got a secret and a person who knows it should keep quiet. What is, it, what is he referring to? So it happens to be that Ibn Ezra references himself elsewhere. If you go later on into, into Sefer Devarim, at the beginning of Devarim, we're going to read this in a week and a half, that in two weeks' time, that says, He says, inside, says the Ibn Ezra. If you understand the secret, which is Hashnei Masar, the secret of the twelve, says the Ibn Ezra. If you understand the secret of the twelve, that's our pasuk, these are all psukim. Takira emes. You understand the truth. If you know the side of the, t- the twelve, then you understand all these cases. Right? This is Ibn Ezra. What's the, t- the, the secret of the twelve? So you go to the end of the Torah. Last parak in Dvarim, where it talks about how Moshe Rabbeinu is about to die. In source 11. Um, it says, Vayal Moshe, lefi dati. Says the Ibn Ezra, according to my understanding, ki mizeh apostol of Yoshua, ki echa Moshe Moshe, like kosov v'derech nevuah kosvay. That uh, from this point onwards, from the first pasuk in the last parak of the Torah was where not Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it, but Yoshua wrote it because it talks about Moshe Rabbeinu ascending to Har Nevoah. If he's going up to Har Nevoah, he can't be writing, even though he dies just a few seconds later. So says the Ibn Ezra, he, he, um, he, this is where Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. Now, what Ibn Ezra is essentially doing is he's extending that opinion in the Gemara about the last eight psukim, and he's extending it earlier to the beginning of the parak, and Moshe Rabbeinu goes up. How many psukim in that parak? Twelve. Twelve. So what people say, what the argument is, and by the way, not just people, many academics, but what even in, even in fringe elements of Judaism in trying to understand this Ibn Ezra, so for, as an example, Rav Yosef Tuvelin in Sofnas Panech, who's one of the Rishonim, when interpreting, this, when interpreting this Ibn Ezra, says that in fact what the Ibn Ezra is, is saying over here is that there is a notion that there's certain words in the Torah which maybe, maybe, were added in after Moshe's death. So Aknani Ozba Oretz is somebody who's later on writing and saying, in those days the Canaanites were in the land, meaning Mary Shur's writing it maybe, and saying, then the Canaanites in the land, now they're not, because now talking to the audience now, if you don't have Canaanite, or when it talks about Eris, Eris Barzel, the, the bed of Og, and it's referring to Moshe Benna couldn't have seen that, so it must have been somebody else writing it. That's what, the, that's what is argued in the Ibn Ezra. Now that's, you see what's, what's happened over here? Is the Ibn Ezra is sort of, if this is what the Ibn Ezra is saying, what the Ibn Ezra has done is he's taken the license of that Gomorrah, and he's sort of taken a one incremental step further to certain words which historically he feels don't, don't match. That's what the, the Ibn Ezra says. What is that? I don't, I don't know about, I'm not sure about editing, but adding. Okay, the meaning to say the parts that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't have possibly experience himself is what the Ibn Ezra says. Now, this is, this is, a, this is a problem, yes. Just a question, because the whole Pasha's Bilam, the, the whole Pasha's Bilam, I mean... Good. So he could, he Good, so that's what, that's what the, the, the Gemara Babasha says. Right. Moshe calls the Sefer Bilam. So it says that Moshe Rabbeinu actually wrote the Sefer Bilam because that was a part that well, he wasn't privy to act experientially. Okay? So now, what do you do with this? Good. Good question. So actually, in fact, if you've got the Mephoshim, the, the real Mephoshim Abshat will say, Ariyamazeh in the, certainly in Tanakh, show you that there was a later author and so on. Could, does that mean to say the whole book was authored later on? Like, say, if you're sure, for instance, there's many Ariyamazehs. So the Radak, the Barbanel, there's a lot of discussion over there. So maybe, maybe, maybe really Yoshua wrote his book, but Shmuel added in Ariyamazehs to, as a, there's a lot, a lot of discussion about this in the Mephoshim Abshat. This, this Ibn Ezra, well, what do you do with this? So it happens to be that's not the only way to read the Ibn Ezra. If you read the Makor Chaim, Rav Shmuel Asfardi, he writes on the Ibn Ezra. He has a pirush called Makor Achaim on the Ibn Ezra, on the next source in 13. He says, no. He says, Vim Tov Insod, Hashnei Moser. He says, Hinei Sod Hashnei Moser, Heim, Shnei Moser Psukim. 
Shaya Psukim Vayal Moshe at Sofa Sefer. He says, Vyesh Urim Kidato Shal Chokom Ki, Min Vayal Moshe, Yoshua Kosav, Kashir Omar Achokom, Paparsha Zuzai Sabrochom, Posav Vayal Moshe. He says, Some people interpret that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't write it. Avala Be'emes, Ki Chokom Zal, Einoi Sever Gze, Be'ebin Ezra does not hold us. Rak, Kol Ele, Nemru Le Moshe, Bederech Nevoa, Uvokosom Kach. So the, 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 the Makora Chaim says, the Ibn Ezra doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that somebody else wrote it. It means that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote these parts, not experientially, but rather prophetically. Because in the end of the day, was Moshe Rabbeinu around in the times of Bereshus in the first place? The answer is no. So he was being dictated that from Hashem. So of course he was being dictated what happened then. He can also, be, he can also have dictated what would happen. That's not a problem. So that's what the Ibn Ezra means over here. So the Makora Chaim. So it's not even agreed to. Just so you should realize, people like... Spinoza, Benedict Spinoza. So use this as one of the, you know, the proofs that the Torah isn't God-given. Because in the end of the day, you have a few, a few cracks here and there. Which is what, this, uh, what is suggested. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you reconcile? Now, I mean, let's say, for instance, Rabbi Yosef Tuvelen, the Softenas Paneach. How do you con- consolidate that with mainstream thought? The answer, the answer is, is that first of all, he himself answers. He says, if it's a section of Torah, which is not a full section, and it's not referring to anything which refer- refers to halacha, maybe it's all right. I, I, I suffice to say that this is not mainstream Judaism. And in fact, the reason why you have to go searching in the Tafnas Panech, which is a say you probably never heard of, you probably thought it was the Rogash of The reason why you have to go there is because it is a fringe element which fell out of, it fell out of, uh, of usage or out of um, general faith, which is a very important point over here. You see, there are a lot of people today who will say, wait a second, Ibn Ezra, that gives me license to start saying, anytime I see something which doesn't make sense in my logic, I'm going to now say that, huh, I got it. It's the same idea. We have to be very careful. The Ibn Ezra over here was saying something, which first of all, he is being the Ibn Ezra was saying, but in mainstream Jewish thought, left that behind when speaking about these kind of things. Mainstream Judaism actually left behind these elements. And that's why when the Ramam says this is, this is, this is our Yosad Emunah, he means to say unilaterally that is what has become accepted. Which is a very interesting notion, which we don't have time to express now, but it's the idea is, is there such a thing as Psak in Machshava? Can you say that there becomes a one way of looking at something philosophically and there's no other alternatives, even though there were alternatives earlier? It seems to be in one of these things, certainly in this area, that Ibn Ezra became sidelined in many, many ways. Here's another just example of why we should be very careful before jumping into conclusions. Take a look at Ibn Ezra at the end of Parshish Vayishlach. This is why one should also be very, very careful. Ibn Ezra says at the end of Parshish Vayishlach. Here's another one of these psukim, which if you're working in a very linear, chronological way, then there seems to be a bit of a problem. He says the following. These are the kings who, who ruled in Edom before there was a king in Israel. Now, so let's, let's do a quick chronological test. Were there any kings in Israel before, um, um, uh, uh, until the point that Moshe Rabbeinu died? The answer is, <coughs> nisht. They were not. Right, so who's writing this pasuk? So once again, it's not a problem to say Moshe Rabbeinu is having a nevuah. But the Ibn Ezra quotes a person called Yitzchaki. The Ibn Ezra has a bunch of people he quotes to throw out. He has a person called the Meshuggah. He quotes 200 times around Tanakh. He's very interesting people that Ibn Ezra interacts with. Here's one, pe- he one of the people he quotes. He says the He says, this is written as Nevoah, meaning, even though it sounds like it's a later apostle, what does Ibn Ezra say himself? It was a prophecy about something later. So first of all, let's just, you know, take a deep breath in and appreciate that, that the Ibn Ezra understood that there is a notion you can write about future things. Good. Then the Ibn Ezra says the following. There's a person called Yitzchaki, he wrote in his book, this is not Rashi, that this was written much later in the days of Yehoshaphat, later kings. Right, because then they had the experience of knowing that there were kings. So they added this in later on. 
He says, Apirish Adoras Kiritsana. And therefore he explained the, 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 he explained it from a, we'll call it an anachronistic perspective. There's this last section of Ayishlach. Hachi Korach Shmo Yitzchak, he says, and that's why his name is Yitzchak. Why? Because everybody's going to laugh at him. <laughs> he says, Ki Omar, Ki Hadad, Hu Hadad, Hadomi, Roma Ki Matavela, Chos Hiz Panches. The Chalila, Chalila, Shadovar, Kamoy Shadiber, Al Yemei Hoshavat. Says Ibn in Ezra. Chas Shalom. Shalom, you should say that, that a section of the Torah comes from a later time. He says, V'sifroi, Roli, Lissarif. Translate that for me. V'sifroi, Roli, Lissarif. What does Ibn Ezra say? Burn his books. Okay? You understand? So now you have to think it. You have to think carefully. So Ibn Ezra has got the soid, Vishamaskal Yidom. Right? And everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and saying, Way, look at the Ibn Ezra. <laughs> the Ibn Ezra. He's our man. Look what he does. He opens up the, ga- the gate to academia. The answer is, just be very careful. You've got to read the whole Ibn Ezra. Right, he's talking about book burning over here when people say these kind of things. So you have to, you have to see everything in a greater context or you when you understand the Ibn Ezra. Nonetheless, it is also important to remember that the Ibn Ezra, of course, is not mainstream thought, even if it, there, has, there, there are murmurings or echoes of what this could be over here. This is a very important thing. If it's all right, I just want to get a little bit of traction. Um, the reason why this is, this is important is, or just, just so you should appreciate, we don't have, we don't have a, a great amount of time. I'm going to just go a few minutes over just to, just to close this point in, 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 in fullness. Just so you should appreciate, in, in m- more recent times, you know, in the 70s there was a, uh, there was a manuscript which was found, which was, uh, which was, there was a robber in Switzerland who was looking at a manuscript which was, he, he found attributed to the son of Yehuda Chassid. Rabbi Yehuda Chassid was one of the Rishonim, one of the people who led a group up to Israel, um, and he, he, Rabbi Yehuda Chassid wrote, has his son transcribed um, talks on the parish of his father, Rabbi Yehuda Chassid, and he had been, this robber spent many, many years researching this, and he was going to print this manuscript, and he showed it to somebody else, and, uh, and uh, a certain Rav in mean, Bnei Brak, and the Rav in Bnei Brak looked and he said, it's not possible, this, is a, this must be a forgery. He says, why, how do you know? He says, because some of the things he says in there contravene this principle. So he says, but I, he says, but I believe that this is really is an authentic manuscript. I believe this is really the son of Yodah Chazid. So he, he went on to go to the publishing house, and he wanted to go and publish it. And Rav Moshe Feinstein was sent a letter from a Rav in Schweiz in Switzerland, who is asking him, what can we do now? He's putting to print this book, which has got concepts which are directly against mainstream Judaism, that, that, that the Torah is written, Min So Rav Moshe responds, this is, um, if I'm not mistaken, 1976, he says the following, Bedavar, in source 16, he says, Malas kvod yididi ya rav agoyed moreno rav daniel levi shlita ha'av based in kilas adas yishurun v'tzurich. Okay, so he's writing to Zurich. And he says, Me'achar shekibalti kibal b'dor shel etz uh, mishel esmol. I re- received your letter yesterday. Od mikhtav eich shoma pi misake shlo etzias ha'sefer shu al shem b'yur ha'chosid. So the, the person who wants to print it is becoming stubborn. He really wants to print this book. He says, mm-hmm. He says, I'm, I'm not feeling very strong right now. I need to, I, but I, I need to respond to this. He wrote, received the letter yesterday because I feel this is such an important I- issue. Hashem Hashem should strengthen me. He goes on to describe all the issues he finds in the book, all the, 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 the problems in the book, and he says the following. He says, he says, Nami Azra, he says, I'm, um, he, oh, no, not, not read that, that section. First, he says, in the top of the next, the next column, the next page, on page seven, he says, I'll call upon him. Every letter was written from Moshe Benu. He says, what is the psak? This is not the realm I'm talking in terms of Ikari Emunah. 
This is the Rav Moshe is talking in terms of Psak Halacha. He says, every letter was written from Moshe. If anybody suggests otherwise, there you have crossed that line. It's just, it's, it's your, your false prophet suggesting anything else. He, uh, Rav Moshe goes on to say, we're not going to read inside just because of time constraints, but Rav Moshe goes on to say, in no, in no uh, soft terms, that it must be that the Sefer is a forgery, or at least the parts that somebody else who had an agenda was inserting in the words of Yerudah Chassid, because it's not possible that he could say things which suggested there was another author to the Torah, which is what was suggested in Yerudah Chassid. He, got the, the, he has a following shiver, which is written just afterwards, because what happens is that they still, they, apparently the printing house had already printed copies of <coughs> it. And Rav El Yashiv and Rav Shlomo Zalman had reached the printing house. And Rav Moshe, you can imagine, the Gedali Hado are, are trying to reach this printing house. What's going on with the Sefer? You're printing something in the Nehru Yod which is against Ikari Emun, which cannot be possibly what he said. Um, suggestions that Moshe Rabbeinu changed this, changed that, and all kinds of things. Um, and the Rav Moshe goes, uh, does a, 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 a line-by-line an analysis of the Sefer. And Ramosha says that the, the printing house agreed that they would take out the certain sections and print the rest and said that the original edition was Mizuya. Uh, but Ramosha says, in fact, the whole book itself is, is infiltrated with, this, uh, with some agenda. And he goes on to describe, describe these things. The reason why, why it's important to see is Ramosha, and if we had a little more time, we'd see more inside, is to appreciate that Ramosha Feinstein is expressing, and this is the person that we turn to when it comes to how we keep Hilchah Shabbos and how we keep Hilchah Etzchumim. And how will he keep Hilchus Kashrus? And this, this is the, the Paisek Ador in this respect. And when he, when he turns around and he says that there's a book over here which is expressing these types of issues, he's saying the Psak Halacha is, the Rambam is Nifsak Lahalacha. You can read as many articles as you want that, that explain that there's people who disagree. Remember the people who disagree are the fringe elements in the Rishonim, if they are at all, if that's what they mean. Ramosha says the mainstream has left them behind. The danger of this, I feel, is not so much the fact that this brings questions to our minds, but the fact that we overlook the beauty of the Torah in, 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 in the defensive stance that we are to always be defending against these types of issues. And this is the last example just to close with. This, the, this example over here is the following. is While we were busy trying to set up the barriers and push, push away all those people who tried to explain the Ibn Ezra also, we miss perhaps an opportunity to understand the truth of what's going on over here. And that is the following. The, I, I had a question which always bothered me, and I, I, I was very blessed to find an answer a number of years later. And that is, is that there's a, there is a notion, a Kabbalistic notion, which is called the Stakel Boraisa, Bore Alma, that God looked to the Torah as the blueprint, and then created the world. And to me it always seemed a little strange, because, you know, the Torah, the Torah seems to be a very, you know, in a certain way, as a description which is this worldly. You know, it's talking about episodes that happened, laws that pertain to this world. So, you know, what, what, God was reading, you know, the story about Shoshanagah Chasapar, and therefore, you know, what does that mean? So it happens to be, if you go to the introduction of the Ramban to Sefer Bereshis, the Ramban talks about this. And he says that the Torah in its primordial state didn't exist as, you know, we pull out of the Aaron as we have it here. The Torah exists in its primordial state as conceptual ideas of the Ratzon Hashem, which is expressed in what's called black fire on white fire, two forms of light expressing the Ratzon Hashem. And what happened was is that it was a, 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 this expression of the infinite was confined to a finite place through letters, which is a very unusual idea, that notion that letters can express, finite letters can express the, inf- the infinite. And these letters were arranged in, a, it was like a, a certain code, which was the notion of what the Torah was. 
the giving of the Torah was when that, that code, when those, those ideas, those concepts, we'll call them almost like, you know, the metaphysical equations of reality. You know, like when you have H2SO4, right? So, you know, uh, sul uh, sulfuric acid, right? So you take an element, you know, two hydrogen particles, um, atoms, you take, you know, sulfur, and you take four, um, um, when you take four um, oxygen molecules, you put them together, they, they, they form a now a unique substance. The Torah is, every letter of the 22 letters of the, al the al Aleph base are those, we'll call it, our table of metaphysical elements which are being formed together to create a world. How does that occur? So Hashem split it up in a particular way which expresses which is one format of the expression of those ideas. But you can reconfigure those, those same ideas into different configurations which means to say that's why when we read a Torah, as difficult as it is for Bar Mitzvah boys, we don't have the trop in the Torah. We don't have Sof Postocks in the Torah because already that is a limitation of the ideas into a particular format. Right? The Torah is bigger than that. The, even the breakup of the words is an interpretation of the ideas which are expressed behind us, says the Ramban. So says the Vilna We go back to that Gomorrah at the beginning. The, the Vilna is the most beautiful thing. What was happening with Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu is, is, is over here, is at the end of his life. He's writing the Torah. The accepted opinion that we have, La Lacha, is who wrote the last Epsukim? Our general accepted opinion is that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote them Bedema. What does Bedema mean? Dema doesn't necessarily mean tears. What does a Dema mean? Says the Vilna Dema means. A mix. When it talks about tebel, mixed up, mixed up grain. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it bedema. What does that mean? That Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the words, but he didn't divide the letters yet. It was the same. He didn't divide them into the words. He wrote the concepts, the ideas, but he couldn't understand them because he didn't have the penetration of dividing the words up till then. Meaning to say that the words weren't changed. The letter, it was only the spacing which maybe was divided later on to explain that it meant this. But nonetheless, it wasn't as an idea, it still existed. It predated, it existed beforehand. The problem is when we learn, these, when we learn about these things and we learn fringe elements and we, and we build towers on them, sometimes we forget the center. Sometimes we forget the, what, what it really means to learn Torah. What it really means to be learning an idea of God which is expressed in, in, a, in, the, in the most incredible finite way through these letters through the Torah itself. What we have, to, what we have left for, to explore is the following. Is how do we get from then, from Matan Torah till now? How did that transmission work and how accurate, how incredibly accurate is that transmission? Because there's a lot of work on this externally and internally. We didn't have a chance to touch on documentary hypothesis today unfortunately. Um, which is an extension of this line of thought which, we, which, is, um, which is dealt with um, very, very much reliably internally in, um, in, uh, in our thought, in Jewish thought. We're going to start off a little bit with the documentary hypothesis and some of the questions on the documentary hypothesis, not as a specific arguments, but generally. And then we're going to turn to the idea of, of when we actually pull out the Sefer Torah, how close is the Torah that we have to the Torah that was actually given to Moshe Rabbeinu, which is a remarkable e experiment, a remarkable limud, which is very much worthwhile because part two, I think, validates this part one, which is where the questions start. Anyways, I want to thank you everybody very much for their coming, and I ask everybody to come back next week so that we can really fully engage in this conversation properly.